What if the ritual performed on an innocent accidentally created the very thing they were trying to destroy? It's like finding a bullet in the brain with no gunshot wound. That's why we couldn't find the cause of death. She's still alive. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. I'm getting a hundred cups of coffee, starting now. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Coffee machine? One cup of coffee, please. What an excellent day for an exorcism. My name is Jerry, and I'm a tabletop gamer who loves horror movies and dislikes anything that tastes like coffee. Hi, and I'm John. I love horror movies and, of course, coffee. Welcome to Coffee Flavored Horror, where we talk about the good, the bad, the horrifying, and the horrifyingly cheesy in media. Now, speaking of horrifying cheese, let's get to our talking about this movie that's actually not very cheesy. What's this week's movie? The Autopsy of Jane Doe. And let me tell you right away, this movie is a horror gem. A little trigger warning. Um, there's, gonna be, uh, there's mild discussion of sexual assault, and in this movie, a cat dies on screen. So just trigger warning for that. Um, it's not cruel, but just be aware of that if you watch this film. Moving on from that lovely trigger warning to... Who is this director by, uh, Jerry? This movie was directed by Andre Avridal. And he did Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. He did Troll Hunter, not the animated movie, the movie about people hunting trolls in Scandinavia. It's another great movie. I haven't seen that one. And in the theaters right now, he directed Last Voyage of the Demeter. Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, that's him. He, he directed that one, the, the, the Dracula on a boat movie that's in the theaters right now in the middle of August of 2023. I want to see that one really bad. Yeah, I want to see it, too. It looks pretty good. It's getting good reviews. Uh, you said uh, you did scary stories to tell in dark, too, right? What did you think of that one? I thought it was a decent anthology movie. I did not grow up reading those books. I was a little too old really? for them when they came out. I remember, John, I'm, I'm like 10 years older than you. That's right. So, uh, but I've seen them and I've read a couple of the stories. I thought they were good. I thought Scary Stories Tell the Dark was perfectly good. I'd love to see them do more of them. Um, and I thought Troll Hunter was ridiculously good. I still got to see that one. I would almost, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just buy the damn thing. <laughs> Shit. So that's who it's directed by. Who else is in this lovely movie there? Well, first of all, we get Brian Cox. Brian F. MNF and Cox. Brian Cox. He plays Tommy Tilden. He was in Troy as Agamemnon. He was in Manhunter as Hannibal Lecter. Nice. He was in X2, X-Men United, where he played uh, uh, Colonel Stryker. Oh, really? Yeah. He was in Super Troopers. Yes, he is. Oh, my God. He's the boss. Yep. And he's also in Succession on HBO right now, which is a ridiculously good series, uh, series about a really bad family. Brian Cox is just amazing at everything he does. He is a just classic actor. And him being in this movie is what made me come to see the movie. And he does not disappoint. I love in Super Troopers. He's like, I will pistol whip the next person that says shenanigans. <laughs> in my day, we didn't use live bullets. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's uh, we're, so not gonna, we're not going to go down that road. Just watch uh, Super Troopers if you like a uh, strange comedy. Yes. This also stars Emil Hirsch. He plays Austin Tilden. Mm-hmm. And he was an alpha dog. He was in The Girl Next Door 2004. Uh, he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he was Speed Racer in the movie Speed Racer. He's been in a bunch of other stuff. Go Speed Racer, go. Go Speed Racer, go. <laughs> I enjoyed that movie too. It's not great, but I enjoyed that movie for what it was. I never saw it really. <laughs> oh, it's fun. If, if you like Wild Over the Top, I mean, it's an anime on screen. It is over the top, bright colors. Yeah. It's directed by the Wachowski sisters. It's got John Goodman playing Pop. Christina Ricci plays the girlfriend whose name I can never, or Trixie. Um, Susan, Susan Sarandon plays Mom Racer. It's got some great stuff. It is Speed Racer on film. It's busy as hell. It's actually easier to watch on TV than it was in the theater. At the theater, it was so large and so colorful, it was tough to keep track of. It's got everything you want. It's a fun movie. If you like 
goofy action films, watch Speed Racer. It's fun. Uh, it's got a decent plot. I guess I'll check it out one day. Uh, we have Ophelia Lovebond plays Emma, the girlfriend, and she was in Rocket mm-hmm. Man. She was in Popcorn. Oh, okay. And she was in Guardians of the Galaxy. The horror movie Popcorn? Uh, no, the other movie Popcorn. Oh, okay. Not the horror movie Popcorn. Nope. Ah. But she's in Guardians of the Galaxy. She plays the assistant to um, the collector, the girl who touches the, the, the sphere and gets blown up. Oh, okay. Um, that's her. Uh, she has, and then she returns again in the animated What If, where uh, they do the What If Black Panther was, was Star-Lord instead of Peter Quill. That's actually a pretty good story. Oh, that story's amazing. We get Olwen Catherine Kelly as Jane Doe. Uh, she was in a movie called The Darkness of the Jade of Town, and she was in a movie called Winter Ridge. I think that's all she was in, right? Pretty much. And pretty much yeah. the only other character in this movie is, uh, with, with, with speaking lines, is Michael uh, Milhattan, who plays Sheriff Burke. He was in The Last Duel and King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. I cannot recommend King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. <laughs> I like Richie. I think he does great movies. I love Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. That movie is just a mess from start to finish. It has very little to do with King Arthur, the sword, or good writing. Oh, okay. You ever see, what's the other King Arthur thing? Uh, Green Knight? You ever see that one? That one I haven't seen. I haven't seen Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah, that one's weird. Weird. Very weird. The story itself is weird. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> so, did this movie make any money? It made some money. A box office of $6 million and a budget of $2 million. So it made triple its budget. So that's pretty good for a, for a sleeper horror movie. This is definitely a sleeper. I never, I, I, I heard a little bit about it, but I had no idea, like, this was a horror movie. I'm like, there's a horror movie with Emil Hirsch and Brian Cox, Let's, and, and my wife likes to go to the theater and watch movies, and we both love horror movies. I remember we watched, I can't remember if we saw it at the theater or if we saw it at home, but it was one that we definitely enjoyed a lot. I think we saw it at home. I seem to have, I seem to remember snuggling on the couch where they were watching this movie, so. Might have been one of our Christmas movies. Every Christmas day, we, we have uh, bacon sandwiches and mimosas for breakfast, open our presents, and then we sit around with our sister. We watch movies all day, normally two horror and something else. That sounds awesome. It is an amazing Christmas, man. When you start the day with bacon sandwiches. Yeah. Bacon sandwiches and a mimosa? That's a good day. And then open presents, and then you watch horror movies all day. <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> it's good. Let's get down to the meat and potatoes of this movie, Jerry. This movie is all story and acting. I mean- it's not super gory, but it's pretty good. It's the amazing story. Uh, the sheriffs in Grantham County, Virginia, find a murder scene. They find a body buried in the basement, and they bring it to the coroner for examination because the body has no identification on it. Um, the body turns out to be a woman, and the coroner is a father-son team, Tommy and Austin Tilden, played by Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch. There's a little bit of tension because Austin wants to stop being a coroner and go off with his girlfriend and go do something else. His girlfriend encourages this, and his father would like to convince him to stay on as a coroner. We're going to talk about that. It's done very well. So they get the body. There's a storm outside that begins to come. The body has no blemishes, no bruises, no rot, no cause of death. It's just this pristine body. First of all, this body is buried under the basement of the house. It's been there for a while, but it shows absolutely no evidence of decay. As they begin to give the autopsy, it's discovered the body suffered numerous tortures, broken bones, severed tongues, other damage, but there's no evidence on the outside. Like they grab her, her ankle and they wiggle it. And there's obviously her bones been completely broken. There's nothing connecting it there, but there's no evidence. There'll be bruising and damage to the skin outside. So basically there's damage to the inside of the body, but not the out. As the autopsy goes on, it becomes evident more and more that the, that the woman was murdered. And then supernatural things begin to occur. The radio starts playing odd songs, including... Let the sun shine in. 
Is that the name of the song? Yeah, it's a song that was there. It's also on the Flintstones thing. Uh, Pebble sang it on one of the Flintstones things. Really? It's about the idea that if you that if you pray and be nice, that the devil can't get a hold of you. So let the sun shine mm. in, face it with a grin. Smilers never lose, and frowners never win. Except in this movie, it's much creepier. And there is no technically a winner in this movie. <laughs> uh, they also hear screams on the radio. <laughs> and when they cut the body, it bleeds like it's still a living body. Yes. And then they start seeing strange figures appearing in reflections. Their pet cat, Stanley, uh, is found mangled but still alive. And they get hit out. And the storm comes up. The power goes out. The doors start closing on their own as well. And they find out that they can't get out of the building because they're in the basement of the house. And the house has basically a set of Bilko doors to get out. And those are blocked by a tree. They eventually surmise that Jane Doe was an innocent woman from 1683 and that she was tortured as a witch during the Salem Witch Trials. But the torture didn't kill her. So now the torture they gave, they put her through to try to prove she was a witch and they're turning her into a witch. Have you ever heard of that in, in, in movies? Have you ever heard that before? I had not. I had not. I liked that a lot. Yeah, it's something new. I liked it. Because it's kind of like, oh, we're going to find out you're a witch, and now we just tortured you, but we made a witch. Yeah. Uh, help? <laughs> Some of the corpses get up and start moving around. Tommy is attacked in one of the rooms and manages to get out with Austin. They're trying to get out of the building, and Austin mistakes Emma for one of the zombies and accidentally kills her. Actually, I'm sorry, Tommy kills her. Tommy hits her in the head with an axe. That's a brutal scene, man. Yeah. After like, he, they find out that uh, it's Tommy's girlfriend, right? You you can see he's crying. You know he did a real good job. Like oh my god, my girlfriend died, and Austin is destroyed because his girlfriend just died and his dad killed her. But he also understands why. He understands that it was a mistake. Oh yeah, he he's been being chased around the entire movie too. So yeah. he probably would have swung if he had the axe. Then they realize that the body is still alive. Yeah. And the more they try to fix things, the damage that occurred to the body starts occurring to Tommy. So. His bones start breaking. He has trouble breathing. Mm-hmm. He's having trouble with his chest because they cut her open. And finally, he begs Austin to kill him. But did you see that one part? He like he uh, exhales and smoke comes out of his mouth because her lungs are burned. Yeah, because his lungs are burned. Yeah, so he starts to suffer all the damage she suffered. Oh. But he's also still alive, so he begs Austin to kill him. And so Austin kills him. But Austin tries to escape, and as he starts to leave, he's tricked into falling down the stairs to his own death. In the aftermath, the sheriff returns. He finds a Tilden dead. And he finds the body of Jane Doe completely untouched on the examination table, as if the autopsy never happened at all. And so <laughs> he's like, I just want this body out of my jurisdiction. So send it to the next to the hospital next, uh, the next county over. And as the ambulance driver takes Jane Doe's body away, you see her toe wiggle and the radio changes to let the sun shine in. End of movie. I would love to see a prequel of this movie to show how she got underneath that house. My assumption was that... They buried her down there to keep her from hurting anybody else. But then she still influenced the people who lived in the house? Uh, that I'm not sure. There was definitely a murder at that house. They talk about that off cast. That's a good question. Uh, there are some unanswered questions in this movie. Oh, there's a few. Yeah. It's a fun movie. Definitely it's a fun movie. This movie's great. I want to bring up the first thing. We, we keep talking about how great Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch are in this movie. But Owen Catherine Kelly, who plays Jane Doe's body, um, was chosen for this role because she has extensive yoga training. And this allows her to, re- to remain still for the filming. Because for most of the movie, they decided that prosthetics would be difficult to use. And so she's just lying there naked and unmoving for most of this movie. But before she did that, she went out of her way to make sure that the cast and crew felt comfortable with her nudity because the number of close-ups and the number of times she's on screen with 
Hirsch and Cox. And she wanted them to both feel comfortable with her being on set, being like that, and know that she was okay with them being around her. And the director went out of his way to make sure that it was a safe directing set for her. And this is the way to do this kind of thing in a movie. But she went out of her way, they went out of her way, and you watch her. I mean, most of those scenes of her is just her wearing either a prosthetic chest, but most of it's close-up of her, her face, her legs, everything else like that. Do you think she was actually laying on that uh, cold steel table? It probably wasn't cold. I'm sure they, I'm sure they kept the room warmer than that, but yeah. I would hope so. Oh, that, that would just be like, oh, be shivering. But a lot of that's done with her, so she pulled that off really well. It's weird. You don't really think like she would be like an actor to use. Maybe they would, might have used like a, a prop body. I'm, I'm glad they didn't. And they actually used a real person. Because the body has to react like that when, they, like, when they're po- poking or cutting into her, that kind of stuff. Obviously, they don't cut mm-hmm. into her, but they use a good prosthetic for that. But it still looked good. This movie is basically carried by the acting. It's got good tension, setting, and characters, but Cox and Hirsch just do a great job. It's a pretty solid story, too. They came prepared for this role and did it. I also liked the fact that you had a father and son who had a disagreement without it being farcically stupid. We didn't have the problem that you get in things like the Die Hard in Russia, where for some reason Bruce Willis and his son are fighting the entire time, or the third Mummy movie, where for some reason this family that's been together for two movies are fighting. It's like, no, when shit happens and you're in a loving family relationship, you put aside the little shit and work together. And even though Brian Cox uh, as Tommy wants his son to stay in, he does. He's like, well, I'd like you to do this, but I also understand. And he keeps teaching his son how to do things. It's a loving family relationship. And even though they don't get along completely, they work together. It's believable. But not only that, they, they talk back and forth like a father and a son would who owned a business. They're not like bickering like, oh, you didn't take the trash out. No, they're, they're focused on their business. And when they break, that's when they talk about their families. Mm-hmm. And they bring that in. Uh, he has his girlfriend come over yeah. and, th- and things like that. And you can tell it's a, it's a loving family. And when shit starts to happen and they have to be a team working professionally, you can see that connection. Mm-hmm. It's well done. It's just so well done. Directors, if you're going to have a family where the father and son have a disagreement, watch this movie to see how to do it without making it look stupid. Did their mom commit suicide or did she die of cancer? She died of some, she died of some disease and the cat was the only thing left. Okay. That's why the death of the cat is so horrific. Yes. I, I, I couldn't remember if she uh, had cancer or something or took her own life. There's no implication that she took her own life. I also thought, that the slow revelation of what happened to Jane is, oh my God, it's brutal. Like everything that happened to her is, is absolutely brutal. They tied her down. Yep. Then they broke her wrists and ankles. They cut their tongue off. They poisoned her to keep her alive, but still aware. They pulled out some teeth and made her swallow it. They then stabbed her and then assaulted her genitals with tools. And burned her. As the realization comes out of what happened to this poor girl, like, no wonder she wants to kill everybody. It's not a good day. And then you get the effects of this movie. The practical effects for the zombie and the monsters and, and poor Stanley the cat are very good practical effects. They did a lot with a little. So I have a question for you. So when the zombies come out in, in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think they were actually walking around or was that this, the witch making them think they are? I think that the corpses were animated. Because something definitely attacked Tommy. I don't know, because at the end, all the corpses were back in the drawers. But she also wasn't cut up. Mm. So she definitely has some powers. It could, I, you, you could make an argument for either one there. Yeah, I think so. That's, that's kind of weird. I like it, though. I think the only thing in this movie is that it's got a very small cast and it's very slow paced for some people. Some people are going to wait. 
It takes a while for the horror to start happening. You've got to sit and ride this one out. Yes, you do. And the small cast means that you're not going to have a lot of deaths and that the stakes are both high and low at the same time. But the payoff of sitting through this thing is glorious. It's, I'm telling you, it's a great movie. It has a wonderful story. There's things that they added in here, like torturing a person yeah. and having them become a witch that way. Is It's new. A lot of the horror is psychological. Definitely. The death of Stanley, where basically when they find the cat and it's been horribly mangled, but it's still alive. It's his wife's cat. So Tommy takes the cat, looks at him, and you hear him snap the cat's neck. Yeah. It's because he doesn't want it to suffer. Yeah. Having him take his wife's cat that she left behind Mm -hmm. and to kill it, that's deep. (laughs) That first autopsy corpse, where they're peeling the skin off the guy and everything. Yes. It sets the stage for the horror. That happens early on, and that's the corpse that reanimates, and it's pretty brutal looking. It is nice, though. It looks like a real autopsy. Yeah. They did a good job with it. I think so. The radio playing the sunshine in is creepy, but later on in the movie... When the radio starts talking to them, it's creepier. Even worse, as they're trying to get... The, the two of them are trying to get out of the out of the basement, and they hear the sheriff on the other side, and the sheriff's like, yeah. you know, let me in, let the door in. You, know, you need to step back and let me in. Let the sunshine in. And then he starts singing and he starts, yeah. he starts monotone spoken word poetry, that song. And it's like, oh God, that's not the sheriff and that's not good. No. Uh, it's a great, it is, it is just, it's oh, that, yeah, chef's kiss. He's trying to get the door open. That's yeah. when he turns around and sees like his father standing next to him, who's he just killed. Yeah. And stumbles backwards, falls off a balcony and snaps his neck. Yeah. He falls down in the basement again. Uh, I'm a big fan of the, the radio is talking to you in a bad way thing. It's, I can't remember, there, there's one, the summer of night, where the kid unplugs the radio and he keeps hearing the radio talking to him at night. I mean, that that's just, that kind of stuff is great, creepy stuff. I love. Oh, it definitely is. It's a great horror trope and it works very well. I, I kind of like the idea that no one survived at the end of this movie. If, even if someone did, he's just going to be a, a raving lunatic by that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I like, yeah, I like the idea. It's just no one survived and the only thing they had to do was take the corpse and put it in the next town, mm-hmm. which who knows what's going to happen next. We don't know what will happen in the next town, but I guarantee she's not going to get up and, you know, start a small business. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. There are some good, some good hooks in this movie. Tell me about the use of corpse bells in this movie, what they are, what they're for, and how they use them in this movie to amp up the horror. <laughs> so what a corpse bell is, people used to be afraid of being buried alive. And uh, they used to take this bell, had a little strap, and they were tied to the corpse's ankle. And if at any time the bell started ringing, you knew the person wasn't dead. And hopefully you can pull them out or unbury them, you know, in the nick of time. So the father ties a corpse bell mm-hmm. onto the corpse's ankle. And uh, every time that corpse is, like, walking around, you hear the ding ding sound of the bell ringing. And it's great because that sound could be around the corner. It could be behind you. You know, you, you don't really know. But it's a great uh, use of a showing, uh, not even showing where the corpse is, but, you know, you hear that bell. And that's when, uh, you know, a corpse is uh, behind you. Yeah. Some people uh, rigged a device up that had a hose into the coffin so they have air. And if they woke up or were alive, they would uh, ring a bell inside the coffin. Or uh, pull a uh, like a pulley system and raise a flag. Mm-hmm. I guess this was to be like a huge fear and everything else. Well, one of the things they had was 
I love this. This is this is great. In Germany, they had something called a portable death chamber. It was a uh, like a chamber they would put it uh, above someone's grave. Okay. And uh, the, the the night watchman came by, if he saw any signs of decay, he just literally pulls a lever at the side of the, the little death chamber. Yeah. The bottom opens up, and the corpse just falls into the grave. <laughs> I like. I like. Yeah. Right. It's pretty good. That's interesting. The idea of that sort of thing goes back. That that's what the story Premature Burial by Edgar Allan Poe is about. Yes, yes, it is. Well, technically, I spoiler alert for the for the upcoming movie. That's also what the House of Usher is about. Here's a little thing. Yeah, on uh, June seventeenth of twenty twenty three. Yeah, a woman who was seventy eight, seventy six years old, started knocking on her coffin at the funeral. They thought she had a stroke, and she didn't. All right. Well, first of all, I want to know which mortician didn't give her A, an autopsy, or B, an embalming before the funeral. I have no idea. That, that's why your chances of being buried alive are, are, are much less now, because these days... What does embalming kill you anyways? Or the autopsy <laughs> will kill you too, you know? Yeah, that's true. Which would probably be better. I'm not quite sure on that one. I plan to be cremated anyway, so it's fine by me. <laughs> Seriously, I'm joking around. It is terrifying. It is. The idea of being buried alive is not fun at all. What's that? It's none of the good movie that people are being buried alive. Uh, oh, Serpent in the Rainbow. Have you seen that one? Yes, I have. Uh, Wes Craven. That's a good movie. We should yes. definitely review that one. I think the last death that I think is really horrifying in this is what happens to Emma. First of all, you just like whack, she gets whacked in the head with an axe and she's dead. But it's the idea that it's the mental torture of, oh my God, your girlfriend is dead and your dad killed her. I think it was more than your girlfriend, right? Wasn't there th- uh, like a fiance? Fiance, yeah. Your fiance is dead. Your dad killed her in front of you and it wasn't his fault. Right. And you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. So uh, it's just, it, they play really well with the mental torture in this movie. It's really well done. One question I got to ask you. What's that? Did Emma actually die? Ooh. Oh, yeah. You don't see them find her body when they go down. You don't see one way or the other. So was she actually killed or was that just an another illusion put on? There's no way to tell in the movie. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. I sat and watched the ending twice and you don't see her there either way. So. She may have been dead. She may have died. She may not have died. She may not have even been there. It may have just been a way to drive them out. So assuming that Emma actually died, what's our body count in this movie? We have a body count of three. Only three. But you know what? It doesn't matter. (laughs) You have a body count of zero and this movie still plays out great. All right, John. Being that this is a movie I picked because I liked it a lot and you hadn't seen it yet. Would you give up some coffee to watch this movie again? I will give up the whole pot. All right. I love this movie. This is now one of my favorite movies. I enjoy it a lot, too. If you like slow burn, no pun intended, horror movies, I would say take a look at The Autopsy of Jane Doe. With that in mind, um, we'd like to thank a couple of Facebook groups that let us promote our show every week. The first is Candyland Night Terrors. And Horror Hoodlums. We like to get on there a couple times a week. They, uh, both, of them, both of them host a bunch of different uh, almost daily events, things like Thirsty Thursday and Werewolf Wednesday, or they're going to have a, a question of the week. And we like to get on there and talk again. So if you want to... Uh, contact us. We're often there to, to uh, chat with. So with that, we'll lock up the morgue and head out on our way. And just remember, if you wake up, ring a bell.